But um, you can also do that through our website, and uh, you can find all of that at summersavenue.org. So I appreciate so much your response to our Glenview Elementary Christmas gifts. And so our boxes of food are returning. If you've got one of those still, please get that back today if at all possible. If not, then expect a visit to your house in the morning with some very large men who are going to take that from you forcefully. Now, seriously though, if you need some help getting it back to the, to the building, please let me know. Uh, and I appreciate the, the, the uh, donations that you've made towards the gift cards. So we'll be getting those over to Glenview here in the next couple of days and uh, get them ready for their Christmas break. So thank you again for that. So our eternal destiny hinges on our response to Jesus Christ. So just think about that. Everyone in this room, your eternal destiny hinges on your response to Jesus Christ. Everyone you know, the, 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 the place where we will spend eternity, I'm talking the forever unending existence after the physical body is dead, hinges on your response to Jesus. And if that is true, there is nothing more important for you today or tomorrow. And so not just for you, but everyone around you, the people that you know, every person you work with, the people that you, you live beside, the, 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 the people you do business with, the people you drive past, the people you go to school with, everyone, every person's destiny is hinged on how they respond to Jesus Christ. So is there anything more important than this? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. So Jesus clearly paints two pictures for us when it comes to eternal destiny. On the one hand, you have hell. He paints a picture of hell, this dreadful reality for those who turn away from Jesus. And then you have heaven on the opposite end of the spectrum, this beautiful, peaceful place in the presence of God for those who have put on Christ in baptism. And so thinking about this, division is neither politically correct nor popular in our day. And so we meet some, some resistance with this. But the, the real question is, it may not be popular, but is it true? Is it true? And the Bible certainly says it is. And so the Apostle Paul writes a letter in 2 Thessalonians, his second letter to the church there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8 says, "...with flaming fire..." He will mete out punishment on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so all over the Bible we see this picture of eternal destruction, eternal punishment, as we read away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. And so people say, well, I'm, I'm glad that was Old Testament God, Old Testament angry God who spoke like that, who did all this destruction and, 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 and banishment of people. I'm glad it was that because Jesus wouldn't speak that way, Right? Well, in fact, this is exactly what Jesus taught. It's what He taught. And what's frightening about it is He talked a lot about hell. He talked a lot about it. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. He says, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And then Mark records in Mark chapter 9 and verse 43... Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better for you to enter into life crippled than to have two hands and go into hell to the unquenchable fire. So all this language that strikes fear into our heart about hell and fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth, it all comes from Jesus. 
It comes from the Prince of Peace. It comes from the little baby in the manger. It all comes from Jesus. It's from Him that we learn about eternal punishment. So why would this loving, servant-hearted, sacrificial Jesus, this author of grace, the author and perfecter of our faith, why would He speak about hell more often and in more vivid terms than anyone else? Must it be because it's a crucial truth? Could that be why? And it is. It's flowing throughout the Gospel. This, this good news. How does that work together? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. People say, well, it's just symbols, right? Just symbolic language. You know, the, the Bible is used in symbolic language. Prophecy uses some symbolic language. So it's symbolic language, right? Well, what if it is? What if it is? It's still not good news. <laughs> Even if it's symbolic, it's not good news. These are clearly not symbols of eternal rest and peace for everyone, regardless of how they respond to Jesus. And that's how a lot of people want to think and want to live. It doesn't matter. Because God's going to take care of all of us anyway, right? But this is what makes the Gospel so powerful. And what makes it so meaningful. And what makes it so crucial. That God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever would believe in Him, what? Should not perish. What does that mean? That must mean that whoever doesn't believe in Him is going to perish. But those who do should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. So the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous by faith will live. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul comes with some pretty hefty credentials. I mean, Scripture tells us he was of the tribe of Benjamin. That's a a big... Yeah, man, he's a Benjamite. Circumcised the eighth day as was the custom... So he's following the law here. His family followed the law. Educated in the school of the rabbis. Not everybody got to go to school to be a rabbi. The Apostle Paul did. He was elevated to that. He was a tent maker by trade. He was a lawyer by profession. Did some graduate studies at the feet of the great Jewish teacher Gamaliel. He spent three years in exile in Asia. He was known as a Hebrew of Hebrews. If you you looked up in their day, you went to the encyclopedia and looked up Hebrew, there'd be a picture of Paul. That's that's who they would... He's the man. And so now he pins these words to Christians who are living around Rome. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they record the life of Jesus Christ. And you have Acts that's written that shows the the, the birth of, of of the Gospel and the spread of the Gospel and the growth of the church. But Romans then is the explanation of the Gospel. What all of this means. And so, our English word Gospel simply means good news. But in Christian context, it's not just any old good news, right? It's the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Well, salvation from what? What do I need to be saved from? Being saved from the destruction of disobedience that Jesus spoke so much about. Being saved from myself. That's what I need to be saved from. And Jesus did not come to bring a threat. Jesus' words were not a threat. 
Jesus came to bring an invitation. He's inviting us. And so Paul begins this letter, Romans chapter 1, by saying that those who are not Jews, called Gentiles, they're living in sin. And they're under God's wrath. But see, they're outside of the covenant. God made a covenant with the Jews through Abraham, right? And through Moses. And so they're outside of that covenant. So, so they're under sin, living in sin and under God's wrath because they're out of the covenant. So they have a conscience. They, they know right and wrong, but they have no law. They don't live under the law. And then chapter 2, he says, okay, the Jews, you guys that are probably reading this right now, as Paul's writing it, right? And so he says, you're the first nation of faith, you're, but, but you're living in sin. And you're under God's wrath. See, you have the law, but you guys have no conscience. You're not following it. It's not, you're not doing anything about it. And so in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 23, Paul lumps all of us together. And he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God publicly displayed Him at His death as the mercy seat accessible through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because God in His forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. Which is why back in chapter 1, Paul says, I'm eager, I'm eager to preach this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ to you, all of you who are in Rome. And brothers and sisters, we need to be eager to speak this good news. This good news of salvation through Jesus. There is no room for part-time Christians in a full-time church. Our lives must be about this. We want full-time pay. We want to raise the minimum wage, but we want to do minimum work. If you want to raise the minimum wage, you better be ready to do more than minimum work. If we want the reward, we need to be out there showing how great and awesome this reward is. Do we believe it ourselves? Whatever we do for God, we need to do it with all that is within us. So whether we're an elder or a teacher, whether we're an encourager, whether we're a member, whether you work in an office, whether you own a business, whether you're an accountant or a blue-collar employee or a retiree or a student, wherever our place is in this world, as church, wherever, whatever we do for God, we need to do it with all that is within us. With all that is within us. He says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So where salvation comes from? It comes from God. Who's it for? Everyone. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel from faith to faith. It says it is written, the righteous by faith will live. So Paul says, I'm ready to preach at Rome. And I'm not ashamed of this Gospel. Now that has little significance to us today when we read this. He says, I'm ready to preach at Rome. Well, that's great. I'd love to travel to Rome. Some of you guys have been there. You've been to Italy. I've seen your pictures. I'd love to go there. It'd be a great trip, right? But it meant something completely different from some guy preaching Jesus 2,000 years ago. See, Rome was the world's superpower, only superpower at this time. And so the rest of the world feared the Roman Empire. And so the Romans had this policy Pretty good on some, on some levels. They said, you can practice any religion you want. We, we, like, we try it all. Practice anything you want, as long as it doesn't interfere with the business of the empire and it does not infringe upon Caesar's royalty. As long as it doesn't usurp Caesar's authority and his rule. So now you've got this new religion that comes along called the Way. 
And so it hails King Jesus as its ruler. Well, this became a big problem for the Roman Empire. And so the torturing and the persecution and the killing began. And so they were fed to the lions in the Colosseum. They were bathed in tar, set on fire, beheaded. And those were just the tortures that put you out of the misery. Not to mention the ones that mangled and maimed you for life because you were following Jesus. So when Paul says to Christians in Rome that he was not ashamed of the gospel and he was eager to preach this gospel to them, he said that and meant that and would do that in the face of the the wrath of the rulers of this empire. And so how great was their influence? How big a deal was Rome? Well, just look around today. Look around today. Flip through your calendar. You know, July, a lot of vacations in July. July got its name from Julius, Julius, Caesar. Where that came from, August, Caesar Augustus. You know why we have 28 days in February? Well, tradition says, because the Roman Senate didn't like the fact that Julius Caesar had 31 days in his month and Augustus Caesar only had 30. So poor February had to lose a day. You You know what we call it Sunday? It's named after deity, the sun god. God in the Bible numbered the days. But it was the Romans who named them. And so Sunday, named after a god. Monday, after a god of the moon. The Roman Empire is still influencing our culture today. So when Paul stood flat-footed and squared his shoulders and said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. And so when you have God on your side, though, there is no person, no man, no institution that you need to be afraid of. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so in the face of all this brutality, this tyrannical rule, the unwavering power, Paul stood and said, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if Paul was not ashamed, if those first Christians were able to stand up in the face of of, of the beast of Rome and say, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ, and I am not ashamed to follow Him, if they would dare to meet in secret just for safety, then brothers and sisters, you and I surely, in our land of anything goes, ought to not be ashamed to say, I follow Jesus Christ and here is why. And there are plenty of things we need to be ashamed of, you know, for sure. What, what we put in our minds, we probably should be ashamed of some of that. What comes out of our mouth, how little effort we put in sometimes to glorifying God in our body, how we talk to each other sometimes, we probably ought to be ashamed of some of that. There are some things we need to be ashamed of, but we ought never be ashamed of the good news of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so, when is the last time you shared that good news with someone? When's the last time in conversation that that you, you let it pass by? Or you tried to bring it up? Or you found a way to interject it? When's the last time you invited someone to the assembly? Or to any gathering of fellow Christians where they could be influenced. You remember when you became a Christian? Can you remember back then, some of y'all? A long time ago, right? For some of us. Was your heart on fire for God? you remember the, what motivated you in that moment? The energy, the zeal, the zest, the fervor, the enthusiasm of becoming a child of God, gathering when the saints gather, looking for ways to serve and, and, and finding a place where you belong so that, so that you could be all that God had called you to be. But then something happens after a while. If we're not careful, something happens. I remember when Tressa and I first got married. I did anything I could to show off the wedding ring. 
You know, you even you, you drive around town. I know none of y'all have ever done this. You drive around town and you, you lay your hand over the steering wheel so that everybody coming towards you can see it, right? When the sun hits it, it glistens, you know? And so people, when people pull up beside you, you know, you do something here. So, you know, so you do everything you can so you can show it off. I even took it off when I showered because I didn't want to get it wet. That lasted a couple of days. But, so anyway, we couldn't wait to show people the wedding video. We got married out of state. We wanted people to see the wedding video. Now I don't even know if we can find the wedding video. It's different, you're right? Time passes and the new wears off. We become comfortable and we, we take things for granted, right? Marriage, we should never take each other for granted. And in the church, particularly when it comes to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, it ought never become stale, never become routine. We should still be singing, still be preaching, still be testifying in our lives about what Jesus has done and is doing through us. We should still be sharing. We should still be serving because we are not ashamed. And this is why Paul was able to stand up to the likes of of Nero in the Roman Empire because he says, the power doesn't lie in me. He says, the power is in God. It's God's power. What makes this good news is it's the power of God. And so the same power that raised up the mountains, the same power that scooped up the oceans, the same power that placed the sun in the sky and said, hey, you worked the day shift and took the moon and hung it and said, you worked the night shift. That's the same power. It's it's the good news. God in the Gospel doesn't have some power. God in the Gospel has all power. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. The question is, do I still believe it? Do I still believe it? And all of Scripture testifies to this great power. I came across this. Noah, Noah would say God has ark-floating power. Balaam would say God has donkey-talking power. Moses would say God has bush-burning power. Pharaoh would say God has sea-opening power. Jonah would say God has big fish power. David would say God has giant-killing power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would say God has fire-extinguishing power. Daniel would say God has lion-taming power. Nehemiah would say God has wall-building power. Hezekiah would say God has life-extending power. Ezekiel would say God has bone-shaking power, right? It raised the bones up. Disciples would say God has water-into-wine power. Peter would say that God has walking-on-water power. Peter and Paul and Silas would say God has jailbreaking power. The lame man would say God has healing power. And Lazarus would say God has dead-raising power. And I love that. Even the devil would tell you that God has resurrection power. And every Christian, every believer in Jesus Christ should be able to say that God has soul-saving power, life-changing power. That's why we made our decision to follow Christ. The Bible says the Gospel has church-building power. The power doesn't lie within us. The power is in Christ and in His Gospel. And so Jesus said in John chapter 12, In verse 32, he says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. And so we are wrong to believe that it's all about us. The power is not in us. We are vessels. We are instruments that God chooses to use. The power is in the Gospel. It's in Jesus Christ. The power is in this good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news. It's the only time when someone says that it's good news that someone close to me died. God says, when my son died, it was good news. I've never never said about someone I love that, hey, I've got some good news. Someone I really love just died. I've never said that. Now, we look at things from a perspective 
of eternity. Somebody who, who is in Christ, yes. It's, it's not sadness that they have died. It's sadness they've left us. But they're rejoicing in their reward. So yes, we put that in perspective. But the fact that, that somebody has left me, that's not good news for me. It's not. We don't usually consider death good news. Particularly when a loved one has been a victim of a corrupt system and died of capital punishment like Jesus was. God says it's good news. How could it be? This Jesus, the Son of God, hung on the cross of Calvary for six hours until finally His body gave out and He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. And then Jesus says, it is finished. And I'm so glad He didn't say, I am finished. He said, no, it is finished. His mission on earth was finished. And so when Jesus revealed Himself to John in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17, John says, when I saw Him, I fell down at His feet as though I were dead. But He placed His right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the one who lives. I was dead, but look, now I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades, which is the realm of the dead, the dominion of the dead. Isn't that good news? God gives us that. It's good news. And when I get good news, it makes me happy. But perhaps we've forgotten what it looks like for someone to be excited to be a Christian. Maybe we have forgotten that. Some of us need to repent, perhaps, for quenching the Spirit of God, not just in ourselves, but maybe in someone else. Paul uses the word dunamis, power. It's where we get our, our word dynamite from. And so not only is the Gospel good news, he said it's, it's the dunamis, it's the dynamite of God. Now give that mental image. God has added us to a dynamite church. And He's given us a dynamite gospel, a bold and, a, and a, a powerful gospel. But are we doing too many weak things with such a powerful gospel? If we're not ashamed of the gospel, and we need not be, remember the power's not in us, it's, it's in the good news, it's in, it's in the gospel. Paul said to Rome, I'm not ashamed of this. And if he said it to Rome, we can sure enough say it to North Little Rock or to Sherwood or Jacksonville or Cabot or wherever we find ourselves in life. We, we need to speak where the Bible speaks and we need to remain silent where the Bible remains silent. But before we amen that, we need to really think about what that means. Where does the Bible speak? See, I can't control what anyone else does, government or individual, but I can control what I do and I can control what I say. And yes, we need to stand where the Bible stands. Paul says in verse 16, the Gospel is personal. It's personal. He says, I'm not ashamed. Not y'all. Not us. We got a lot, there's a lot of people that are on the HMO plan of Christianity. Right? It's what we do. It's we, us. We rely on mutual funds. The Gospel is not about what we do. It's about what I do. It's I do. Paul says, I am not ashamed. It's personal. And we need more people with an I, me, my religion when it comes to the Gospel. We need to use more personal pronouns when we talk about and we describe our Christianity. And we need to be reminded that the Gospel is personal. You cannot defer your Christian responsibilities to anyone else. You know when you watch a commercial, you watch something on TV and you know when it's obviously an actor who's, who's pushing some sort of product. Uh, is it uh, uh, Ray Liotta? You know, he's got this chantix thing. I see him everywhere right now. And so, you know, I know Ray, and Ray may use that product, but I don't know. You know, when I see something on TV that somebody else uses, 
I'm like, yeah, they're getting paid to say that. But when I come to your house and I see you using something that Jason Peterson put on Channel 7 News, you know, and I see you using that product and you tell me, man, it's been the greatest thing I've ever bought, then guess what? I'm probably going to go out and get me one. I'm definitely more inclined. I'm going to check it out because now my interest is piqued because you, the relationship we have, has brought me to this. God is looking for some people and the world is looking for some people who can say, I know God for myself and this is how I know Him. And this is what it's meant to my life. The Gospel needs to be personal. And not only does it need to be personal, it needs to be presentable. Presentable. Paul says, I am not ashamed. And so whatever you believe about God and religion should be presentable. We need to say, we're not ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed. That means we need to be proud of our faith. And we can be proud of our faith. But that also means that hypocrisy has no place in Christian life. Where you can't talk about your faith or your religion because of how you talk the rest of the time. We shouldn't be afraid to share the Gospel with anyone because they would be shocked to find out that I was a Christian. We need not be ashamed of the Gospel. And the Gospel should not be ashamed of us. And so Paul calls it the dunamis of God, the dynamite of God. And there's a reason we don't call firecrackers dynamite. See, a firecracker will leave a a little black mark on the ground when you ignite it. But dynamite will alter the landscape. The Gospel is the dynamite of God. So that's the power of the Gospel. It alters the landscape. And through the church of Jesus Christ, the Gospel continues to change the landscape somewhere. Somewhere. But how about with you? How about with you? Is the dynamite Gospel in the hands of a firecracker Christian? Do we really appreciate what God has done through Christ so that we can be sitting here today as members of His church? You know, you look at deficit spending, outrageous debts are a hallmark of our American living, both nationally and personally, they are. And you obtain something on credit and it breaks or it wears out before you even pay it off. And that's worthless. Not worth anything. Salvation is free. It's free to you. It's free to me through Jesus Christ. But it cost God His Son. And so Acts 20.28 tells us that Jesus purchased the church with His own blood. Salvation is not on credit. We don't have to make payments or have a balloon payment sometime in the future to pay this off. Salvation is the free gift to those from God, those who believe. And salvation is a bloody issue. In Romans 5 and verse 6, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, because we have now been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved through Him from God's wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more, since we have been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Is that some gospel? Is that some good news? I would say yes, it is. The the, the gospel is plentiful. It's for everyone and it's universal. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for it is God's power for salvation. 
to everyone who believes. Who's left out? Only those who will not believe. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. God is not prejudiced. God is not select. God allows us to choose Him. He puts it out there for everybody. But we have to make the choice. We have to choose. Because through Jesus, He has already chosen us. And if that's not gospel for everyone, then it's not gospel for anyone. And so I've done some things, and I'm ashamed of some things I've done in my life. I've gone some places in my life I'm ashamed of. I've said some things that I've been ashamed of. But there's one thing that I'm not ashamed of, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves humanity. We should never be ashamed of Jesus. And may He never be ashamed of us. And so there's one other thing that the Gospel does. It demands a response. Demands a response. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous by faith will live. And it's faith in this Gospel, in this good news of God, that Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, reconciles us, brings us back together from this shattered, divided relationship that sin in our life has caused. This through Jesus Christ and by the cleansing, the sin in our life is gone. It's by faith in this that saves us. And we contact that blood through baptism. That's God's way. That's His decision. And Jesus says, the one who believes, Mark 16 and verse 16, the one who believes. Believes what? Believes what, Jesus? This good news. Who believes this Gospel? The one who believes and is baptized. Why? Because believing alone does not save. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves. And God recognizes us covered in that blood through baptism. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. Why? Well, that seems pretty harsh. Why will they be condemned? Because the eternal presence of God, the glorious presence of God is a place of purity. It's a place of love. It's a place of worship. It's a place of devotion. It's a place free from all evil. That's why. And our eternal destiny hinges on our response to Jesus. And everyone in this room, your eternal destiny hinges on your response to Jesus Christ. The place you will spend eternity forever. (laughs) That's what eternity is. The forever, the unending existence after this physical body is dead. That place hinges on your response to Jesus. And if that is true, there is nothing more important for you today or tomorrow. And not just for you, but for everyone you know. All the people around you, every person you work with, work around, live beside, go to school with, drive past, do business with, every person's eternal destiny is hinged on how they respond to Jesus Christ. Now I ask you, is there anything more important than that. And this is not a threat. It is an invitation. This morning, Jesus' invitation is open to you, to everyone. And not just today. It was open yesterday and it will be open tomorrow if, if your world is still spinning. But today is the day and now is the moment. If you are ready to put on Christ in baptism for the assurance, the satisfaction, the peace 
that comes through Jesus Christ. Receive the promise of God's Spirit, the promise of eternal life in heaven with Him, and begin living today the glorious life in Jesus Christ. The water is ready. And if you have not been living, if you have forgotten what it was like to live in the zest, the zeal, the enthusiasm of life in Christ, God calls you to repent of that today. And we're here this morning as the family of Christ. And we will pray with you and for you in any way that we can. We're going to stand now and sing a song of encouragement. Will you come?